Hi everyone, welcome back to Central American Voices. I'm your host, Alejandra Quiroz. Gracias por sintonizarnos una vez más. Today we're talking with Adriana Lauren, a climate and racial justice activist. She's from La Ceiba, Honduras, but is based in Vancouver. Welcome, Adriana, for being with us today. Hello. Thanks for having me. Um, so my name is Adriana. Um, I use she, her pronouns. Um, I am from Honduras. I grew up in La Ceiba, so um, I'm costeña to heart. Um, and my whole family is still living in, in, in Honduras right now. And I moved to Vancouver in Canada about six years ago um, to come study for my, my undergrad degree. Um, and I stayed here after I finished my degree and I've, I've been living here for, like I said, about six years. Um, and in that time I've been doing a lot of organizing and a lot of work around climate and racial justice. Um, so this is a topic that's very near and dear to, to my heart. Um, and I've been working on for, for, yeah, like six years now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. No, thank you again for being with us today. Um, so I know, you know, how you said you are from La Ceiba, Honduras, and you moved to Canada to study your undergrad. So how was growing up in Honduras and then moving to Canada? I mean, I like growing up in Honduras was was amazing. Obviously, as a kid, like, you always see the grass is greener on the other side. Um, mm -hmm. Like that's definitely how I always view things. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I love growing up in Honduras as well. Um, I also just loved growing up next to the coast, like being able to mm -hmm. just go to the beach and being able to just go to the mountains as well. Because in La Ceiba, we have like the mountain range mm -hmm. and the beach and you have literally the best of both worlds. Yes. Um, so that was, that was always really beautiful. Um, one thing that I, I definitely do appreciate about living in Vancouver or living in Canada kind of more broadly is um, that there's a lot more safety here because um, growing up in Honduras there, there was like some, some instances where like mm -hmm. as like a young woman, it is kind of dangerous to walk around. But um, that's one thing that I definitely appreciated about um, moving to Canada is that there was like that, that that sense of um more 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 a bigger sense of safety um mm -hmm. but there's also things about canada that for example i don't love um like i i think that um well obviously like i live in vancouver so it rains all the time so that's probably my <laughs> least favorite part of what like it's raining like right now it's been okay. raining for like a week non-stop so anyway um <laughs> yeah 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 it's not great um but yeah and say so, like another thing that like I, I i find difficult in canada specifically is that there isn't a very large um community of latinx people um much less like central americans and much less hondurans like mm -hmm. i think like one percent or 1.3 percent of the population in vancouver is actually of latin american descent um like one percent like wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah so within that I think I've, I've met like three Hondurans in all my six years here um so that's definitely something that I don't love so much about uh Vancouver but um yeah anyway I'll leave it there I feel like I've been talking for a bit <laughs> no it's, it's it's totally cool but you know I I mean I have never visited Canada and everything so knowing your perspective of how you know like not out of community of Central America and how it was, you know, of course you had the best and 
la ceiba bonita. Yes, you know? Yeah, truly, ceibita la bella. You know, <laughs> you know, when I when I moved to Los Angeles, I, I told my mom, finally, I don't have to drive eight hours to La Ceiba to be in the beach. Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> just the drive from Tegucigalpa to La Ceiba. I'm like, finally, I can just drive five minutes and it's right there. Yeah. And honestly, something that I realized, like when when I moved here um, is that I can't live in a city that doesn't have a beach. Like I, mm. I, I can never do that. Um, because even Vancouver, like obviously it's not Caribbean weather, but like we do have the Pacific ocean here. Like I need some kind of body of water, you know, like I, I I can't live anywhere that doesn't have the ocean right next to it because I'm Costeña, like (laughs) I need it. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I mean. I, everything that is connected to water man like I, I truly I, I love the beach so for me it was like so much like driving all the way to La Ceiba sometimes was like oh damn it and like it was like what a trip like a, a one time a, a year so I, I can only imagine you growing up in La Ceiba and you know now living here in Canada of course of course like El mar siempre will be so important to you. Um, so I wanted to ask you, um, I know you have been, you said you have been doing um, climate, you know, and racial justice activism for about like, you know, quite a, a lot of time, like six years after you, you know, moved here. And, but what made you get into the climate justice, environmental justice? Like what, what was the point where like, okay, I want to pursue this? Because like, like I was telling you before recording, like, this is a topic that, I mean, empezó, digamos, uh, que las personas empezaron a hablar not too long ago, a lot, a, more often than, you know, and I still feel like we still need to talk more, uh, but what made you get into it? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, and I mean, like, to me, like, um, what sparked my interest is just like growing up in Honduras. Um, mm. Like, I didn't always know that it was climate change and I didn't always have, like, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the the educational background or, like, the information mm-hmm. about, like, climate science to understand what was happening, but, like, living through the experiences, right? Like, mm-hmm. so the first thing that, like, to me really, like, kind of made me, like, really impacted me was um, Hurricane Mitch. Okay. Um, so obviously, of course, this was like, I was like four or five years old, so I didn't understand climate change, right? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> like the experiences of living through Mitch mm-hmm. helped me understand why climate change is an, is an important issue to address. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I was like, I was only four or five years old. Right. But like, it's literally the first memory I have is like, hurricane mitch and like the fear that i felt because like my family had to evacuate we had to move because like the house that we were in wasn't safe so we had to move to my grandparents place and like i was really scared as a kid right like i had no idea what was going on i didn't understand and then like there were power outages and then i like the bridges went down i couldn't go to school for a couple weeks so it was like really really confusing to me and like that experience paired with like also seeing how there were so many droughts that were happening years after that um, and realizing that like how and seeing how that like honestly was so clear to me how people are so dependent on on nature mm-hmm. to survive like if, if there's a huge drought that means people can't eat if there's a massive hurricane that means people like are displaced um, mm-hmm. so those those kinds of experiences really like um, made me interested in in the environment specifically. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but then like as as I grew up and as I started to learn more, um, I made the connections and understood how that's related to climate change. Mm-hmm. Um, and because say like because I'm and this is kind of really depressing, but like I'll I'll say it anyway. Um, but part of the reason why I'm I'm really interested in in climate uh, justice specifically is because like if we're looking at some of the predictions of of what uh, the future looks like with sea level rise, mm-hmm. cities like La Ceiba won't exist 50 years from now. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. we, are, we are at risk of being completely underwater if if this isn't addressed, if people don't do something about about climate mm-hmm. change. Um, so that's something that really kind of drives my interest is like, I want to have a place to go. Like I want to have a home. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so that's kind of what, what, what made me interested. But like I said, like when I, when I was a kid, I obviously didn't understand that the things that I was experiencing mm-hmm. were impacted by climate change. Um, but afterwards learning uh, more, learning more about it and learning how it has already impacted my community and how it's going to continue mm-hmm. impacting my community in the future is what made me realize that like. I have to do something about this. And like, this is what, what I want to dedicate my life to. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, I, I feel like it's, it's amazing. And as a Central America, as an Honduran, of course, um, we all have her at least one story of a match. Like, yeah. I don't feel like if you're this older, I mean, probably like the younger generation, they don't like even, or like, oh yeah, si paso. But, you know, like I grew up listening to those stories and, you know, yeah. I... I was one. I don't, I mean, I don't even have a memory, you know, but yeah. I have the story of my mom, like, oh, si, se lleno de agua, o tal, en Tegucigalpa se cayó aquel, you know, like, mm-hmm. cosas así, right? But, um, but like I told you before recording, I, climate justice, climate change is something that I was never thought over there in, in Honduras, you right. know? Um, I feel like, you know, I was very privileged to, you know, not feel that, climate could affect me you know how it didn't ap- impact you to you you know mm-hmm. it was like oh you know llueve, hace frío, te pasa, you know like the 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 climate over there was always like so oh it's who like humid, like tropical you know what i mean right, like, it's right, right. like oh it's, it's expected you know um how I normalize, um, you know, this, estas lluvias de repente extremadamente fuertes. And I was like, that was normal. And, you know, oh, viene un huracán. Okay, vamos al, al super. You know, mm-hmm. like that was something that I remember in my childhood when I was living in Honduras that I feel like it was so normal for me that I never feared of what is going on. I lived, um, I, you know, I, I am from Tegucigalpa, pero vivía más fuera de la ciudad, so like carretera a Danlí. Right, so, right, right. It was always like cold and like siempre lleno de árboles. So I always saw like my surroundings around like a huge like árboles and things. But there was one thing that I was always so mad and so mad. And maybe like, you know, it's it's a little bit of connection, but I was seeing so many trucks, you know, como la primera carretera fuera de mi casa, like, you know, it should come down, like, you know, like la, la montaña, la primera carretera, la carretera panamericana, right, uh-huh. which just connects everything. Right was this huge truck full of, uh, ¿cómo se llama? Tala de árbol. And mm. I used to, I used to tell my dad, like, all the time cuando esperaba el bus, like, ¿para qué se, para qué cortan los árboles? ¿Para qué cortan tanto los árboles? And then he was always telling me, oh, pues es porque los, uh, you know, like, los, los llevan para Estados Unidos o los llevan para otros lugares donde, donde, you know, hacen otras cosas con ellos. Okay, pues, but you know, when you're little, you're just asking, but you, I was just like, why are you cutting the tree? Like, at, at one point, Sentía, tenía miedo de que me iban a cortar los árboles that were around my house. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I said, like, 
my house, like, I remember, like, full of pinos, and it was always so, like, chilly, you know, cold, because it was, like, afuera, en una, una montaña. So I was fortunate. When I moved to L.A., that was another thing. I was, like, I was hearing, like, aquí no hay agua. Aquí, <laughs> like, aquí pasan meses, hasta años sin llover. Aquí, like, I, I, sometimes my family come in, ay, se está quemando Los Ángeles. I have come to the normal thing, like, como siempre. And that shouldn't be okay, you know? Like, that yeah. shouldn't be okay for me, so, like, como siempre. Um, that's when I was like, okay, this ain't normal. Then yeah, I was it's not normal. I went to experience to 170 degrees, and then, like, then coming the next day to, like, 40s, that's when I was like, okay, this, this this is something that I need to like research more and you know, what is climate change? What is um, you know global warming? Yeah, uh, and also the laws that lately have been coming into you know perspective that's supposedly aligned for a better you know future. Um, of course, there were some you know many things that you know like then the restriction here of LA that you someone that cannot ask for, you know, like the server cannot give, I was a server. So like I, I wasn't able to offer someone the straw or things like that, which to me at one point I was like, well, that's the like very minimum. Like what is the actual effects of it? And I think that that's what makes me worry until I migrated here because I didn't feel like, what can I, what can I say? Like I never experienced that fear that like, like you said, like you fell. So now that I'm here in LA, which, you know, if, I mean, if you live in LA or you know about LA, you know, California fires are crazy. Yeah. And like they, they also have an impact in BC too, right? Like all the fires from this summer that y'all experienced in California and Oregon went up to BC. Mm -hmm. Like we were also impacted by that too. And which I think really shows like how, Mm -hmm. how much this is a global problem. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like, you know, just little things like that, or no hay agua, or hoy llueve, mañana no, things like that, you know, es lo que me hizo a me wanting to learn more. So when I was I was telling Andrea, like, I'm, I mean, I'm not, you can ask me something, I'm like, yeah, there's a problem, and we should be aware of it, we should at least be make, making changes for it. But as an individual, I mean, I, I wish I can change everything for a better to have a better better future for the world right um in this you know past months after seeing you know the hurricanes in central america and how that has been affected and it's it's just been you know like crazy things i it's like okay we need to have something major and we need to talk more about what we want for our future and for you adriana um you know for someone like you know that was probably me uh years ago who might not realize that we are in a climate crisis. So can you like tell us a little bit how we got here? And not only from the perspective of, you know, Canada, the United States and all their major countries, but from the perspective of countries like Central America, which they are one of the, you know, countries like small like that are the most affected from countries that have a huge impact when it comes to our global warming. Um, okay, so before I answer the actual question you asked mm-hmm. me, um, there is something that I want to touch on that you mentioned before. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the the fact that this is not normal. Mm-hmm. Um, 
say for example like i've i've been living in 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 Van- in vancouver for like six years and we have forest fires in bc as well mm-hmm. and it's not normal to have forest fires to this degree every mm-hmm. single year that is no. not normal and should not be normalized it's not mm-hmm. normal to not have access to water or safe drinking water mm-hmm. that's not something that should ever be normalized and it's also not normal to have two hurricanes back to back that no. has never happened that has literally never happened in the history of like hurricanes being on record mm-hmm. and us documenting them. It has never happened that two hurricanes, category five and category four and category five happened back to back less than two weeks apart. Mm-hmm. That's not normal. Um, and I think like a huge problem with, with, with this, with the way that um, climate change gets viewed. And I'll talk about this in a second when I answer your question is like, you know, the, you know, the story of like, if you put a frog in boiling water, it's going to jump out. But mm-hmm. if you put a frog in like, you know, room temperature water and increase the heat, you'll k- eventually kill the frog and it won't notice, right? Yeah. Like it doesn't jump out immediately. And I think it's something similar here where like you get used to like, because natural disasters do occur at like, mm-hmm. a, like, they, like they do occur naturally, of course. Mm-hmm. But what's not normal is the intensity and the frequency mm-hmm. um, of these natural disasters. And that's the part that's getting normalized and that's the part that should not get normalized like this Mm -hmm. is not how this is not how it it was 50 years ago um Mm -hmm. and and that's the scary part because if we normalize that that means that we're stopping ourselves from actually being able to act on it Mm -hmm. um and it's also not normal to people for people to suffer to this degree because of environmental issues Mm -hmm. um and and your point on 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 countries like honduras being impacted like that's that's the sad truth like you see that countries like in the global north rich countries Mm -hmm. and corporations are the ones who are really fueling the climate crisis but Mm -hmm. poor countries like honduras coastal nations small island nations like fiji for example um we're the ones who are facing the issues like mm-hmm. We're the ones who are dealing with the crisis, um, but we're not the ones who caused it. Mm-hmm. So um, I'll leave I'll leave that there, and, and I'll answer your actual question. <laughs> um, so for someone who might not realize that we're currently in a climate crisis, how did we get here? Um, so this is the this is the this is the big question. Um, mm-hmm. So in terms of I and I, I'm not going to get into the science too much because mm-hmm. I I I don't have like a super like heavy science background, mm-hmm. um, but basically what's causing the climate crisis from a scientific perspective is the the increase in greenhouse gases, right? So mm-hmm. CO2, methane, et cetera, et cetera. Water vapor is also a big greenhouse gas, for example, um, and that's causing an increase in overall global temperatures. Mm-hmm. Um, so that doesn't mean that everywhere is going to increase temperatures at the same time or at the same degree some areas of the world are increasing temperatures um, more than others um, mm-hmm. and what's basically causing this increase in in greenhouse gas emissions is and this is like the the, the hard truth that people kind of I think have a hard time um, coming to terms with is that for example 100 corporations are responsible for over 70 percent of global emissions that's 100 corporations that's 100 CEOs who are fueling the climate crisis. Mm -mm. And then if you look at other countries, for example, countries like the US, countries like Canada, countries like Saudi Arabia, for example, um, who are very reliant and heavy on the fossil fuel industry and the extractive industry, um, those are the ones who are are causing the climate crisis. And they're also feeling it. 
they're also impacted, they're also being impacted by this. Like, for example, Canada also has a lot of issues with wildfires in BC. Mm-hmm. Um, but the countries who are feeling it the most are countries in the global south and the countries who have nothing to do with causing the, the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, 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 it can feel like a really overwhelming issue because it's so big. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's so, it's such a massive problem. Um, and it's something that, for example, the UN has also recognized. Like, um, I can't remember who said this, um, but someone from, from the UN, like someone, I'll, I'll look up the name afterwards so you can have it on your record. Um, mm-hmm. But someone from the UN said that um, the climate change is the biggest threat to human rights in the 21st mm-hmm. century. Like, it's, it's not, this is not a joke. You know, this is not just like, Oh, like temperatures are increasing. Haha, we're gonna have warmer summers. Like it's not it's no. it's not a joke. People are dying. There's people whose lives are at risk. There's entire communities, entire cities, entire countries that are at risk of being underwater. Um, and it, it's something that's already impacting people. And climate mm-hmm. change is not something that's gonna happen ten years from now, it's something that's happening right now. Um, mm-hmm. and we can't delay action any further. Um, but anyway, I feel like I've talked a lot, so going. No, go ahead. Like I, I like to listen because I'm like, I mean, this is important. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> so for example, another another thing that like when I when I think about um climate change, for example, and 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 the connection specifically between global south and global mm-hmm. north countries, um, when I'm thinking about Canada specifically. So mm-hmm. Canada recently bought a uh, a pipeline for like four point five billion dollars, mm-hmm. right? Um, and this is a pipeline that does not have um does not have the appropriate environmental regulations. Would actually increase emissions like I don't even know the number, but by a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and also doesn't have permission from the indigenous nations here to build the pipeline. And it, it's projects like these where if you have $4.5 billion to invest in a pipeline, you have $4.5 billion to invest in renewable energy. Yes. You, know? you can, yes. like, it's, you can do that. You have mm-hmm. the choice to do that, but mm-hmm. the people who are in power are making money off of the fossil fuel industry. Mm-hmm. So they don't want to divest from it, um, which is which is a huge problem, right? Because, like, mm-hmm. um, that's, that's a big issue. Um, and then it's countries like Honduras, for example, or countries like Nicaragua or Guatemala or Fiji or, you know, um, like any other any other country. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I'm mentioning Fiji because they're actually currently feeling the impacts of climate change right now as mm-hmm. well. Um, yeah. There's like a category four tropical cyclone that hit them right now. Um, so that's why I'm, I'm kind of thinking about them right now. Um, but yeah, so you can see, for example, that countries like Canada, um, I think there was a, a report recently that said that Canada is the second biggest investor in the fossil fuel industry by GDP um, in the world, you know? Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean it's like uh, it's uh you know i i totally understand you and i i feel like i i can hear your frustration in your voice because it's it, it honestly makes you so much it, like just knowing a hundred companies like a hundred companies are 70 percent you know of that as the damage that they have done to our climate like how like in one of the things, of course, we can see here is everything's about money. You know, I feel like people are like, oh, you know, they're money hungry for everything, but they don't see what it's actually causing, like what 
they're doing has a bigger impact than whatever millions or billions of dollars can have in their pocket. You know what I mean? So I completely understand you. And it's, I mean, I, I know the question of like how we got here. Like it has like, we can talk for like hours and hours because we, okay, we're looking to like, you know, places like Canada, like the United States and other big, you know, and how you say, of course, you know, countries like Central America, Honduras, Guatemala, El Salvador, Nicaragua, and, you know, Belize, y Fiji en estos momentos, like, they are suffering. And I I mean, there's so much to climate change, like, there's, like, completely so much that I, that I wish we can have, like, an extended thing for us to be disgusting, <laughs> disgusting, disgusting, but, you know, I... One of the things that I wanted to, you know, ask in there's something, this is something that I just realized, like, of course, like probably like the uh, like year and a half, they never thought of it, uh, the, how racial injustice is connected to environmental injustice. Like that was something that I was never, um, you know, I, something that never clicked to me before, um, yep. as I became more aware, of course, uh, one of the things that I was always reading was, you know, like the impact of mining, how like, okay, they ban mining and like some, I think there's like ban mining here in some states, like don't quote me on that because I'm not hundred percent sure. But if you go to El Salvador, they have a huge issue with mining in Guatemala a huge issue with mining you go to Honduras like allá quieren poner 20,000 hidroeléctricas everywhere like and one that like I like I said I feel like personas como yo that never never nunca ha sentido algún impact of like from the climate change right uh until something touched you very close I my my family my my mom's side is from a small little pueblo and in, 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 in el sur de Honduras, que se llama Rectoca. Like, that pueblo is my life, Adriana. Like, yeah. I'm telling you, like, I grew up there my entire, like, childhood is there. Like, so I grew up going to the river. Like, the river for me is, like, it holds so, one of my, the most happiest memories that you can imagine as a little mm. child. Like, you know, like, yeah, that's how, you know, like, it's, that's how, like, um, you know, Tegucigalpa is very important to me, but for me, mi rey toca es como mi otra casa, es, es donde crecí. So, in the past years, um, someone just decided to open, you know, like, un, una hidroeléctrica ahí without permission of the Linka people there. First of all, that's, like, that disrespect, please, like, Come on, yeah. you, you know, please, please respect our indigenous communities. And when I found out, like, I'm like, I'm the point of crying, Adriana, like, yeah. because it's like, you know what I mean? Like, it is very frustrated that they use dinamita and contaminated yeah. the entire river where it gives water to all the indigenous communities around the river where it gives water to the pueblo i grew up and it contaminated and now like gan you know like personas no pueden llevar su ganado ahí es donde pescan like mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you know knowing how my river like i call it my river you know se va haciendo más seco y más seco it breaks my heart it yeah. breaks my heart because it's like that that river holds so much like value sentimental to me and like just knowing that like you know I, I, as someone who is like living already here i cannot do nothing and i see my people over there fighting for justice fighting for justice and they don't do nothing and this is just a minimum 
like un, un pequeño ejemplo, you know, of how, you know, you know, like corporation and people who try to gain, you know, money or power or whatever they want, you know, on behalf of, you know, las tierras y el agua de otras personas, you know, and that's just one example in Honduras. We can go on in Honduras. We we already know the, the story of Berta Cáceres is, you know, yeah. and that's, that, that's yeah, just yeah. A, that's una cosita, but this is a small country. You know what I mean? It's a small country that ni siquiera llega al 1% de seguro ni el 2% of what lo, lo que está causando el climate change. Not you even 1%. I looked it up. Yeah. Not even 1%. Yeah. So you said like not even 1%. So like in, when we come here, like we're living in this country, it's huge country and they have the hugest money to like put money on the like the stock market that way they can, you know, put them numbers up. Like if they have the money to put that, why they don't have the money to invest for our future, for our planet? Like that's my question. Yeah. And I had the same question that you had. I'm like, wait, you, you guys have the money. It looks like it, but you guys don't want to. That's yeah, it. yeah, one hundred percent. And like, I, I'm glad that you brought up mining companies because that's something that I've I've been looking into in a lot more detail. And of course, like we all know the story of Berta Cáceres, right? Mm -hmm. But there's so many other instances of that happening, and it's an international problem. Like mm -hmm. I know that, like right now, we're focusing on 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 Honduras because um, mm -hmm. that's where we're both from. But um, I just want to kind of highlight um, the fact that, for example, in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. um, which is the city that I'm currently living in, there are like 13 to 14, like I can't remember exactly exactly the number, but like over a dozen mining companies based just in Vancouver what? do most of their work in Latin America and the Caribbean. Oh, so no. I live, yeah, yeah, yeah. I literally live in a city that is making a huge profit off of the exploitation of land and resources and water and people from my communities and that's something that gets that it's, it's really frustrating because absolutely you're 100 right like you see these rivers that you grew up with that are being drained of the water and they're getting dried up and there's so many toxic pollutants mm -hmm. um, and there's also so much violence there's, mm -hmm. there's actually a lot of evidence that shows that like um and this is for canada as well when there are extractive projects in the region there's actually an increase in violence most of the time mm -hmm. um And that's also, so you can see this, for example, when you have indigenous land defenders or water defenders mm -hmm. who are against these extractive projects, they get silenced, but they get silenced with violence. And that's, yep. for example, what happened to Berta Cáceres. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it, it's, it's disgusting. It's it disgusting um, that people are allowed to do this for corporate gain and for profit. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, because the money is, is not kept in Honduras anyway, and if it's kept in Honduras, it's the rich politicians who make a buck off of it. It's not oh, the it's people who are working. It's not the people who are in those communities who are making any kind of benefit from it. We are having our resources, our land, our water, and our people exploited for someone else to get rich, and mm -hmm. that basically, in a nutshell, is the climate crisis. Like that is yeah. why we're here. That is yeah. why we're here. And, and like, I, I could like literally scream because that makes me so mad. Um, no, no, it's scream, but, like, but scream. Believe me, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, it's and and that's in a nutshell. Like that is the sentence that sums up the climate crisis, right? Mm -hmm. Like because the people who are feeling it, who are feeling the impacts, are the ones who have nothing to do with causing it, and all the resources, all the wealth, all the money is kept mm -hmm. in someone else's pocket. Yeah. Um, so. 
you yeah. know, uh, you know, I remind me, um, I have said this in our previous uh, episode where we talk about environmental, you know, with a connection with migration. Um, there's this documentary that I saw back in when I was in college um, and they talk about mining in Guatemala and you can literally see the violence right there. Like that lady quedó sin un ojo because, you know, trying to defend her life. Um, another, you know, I'm yeah. just putting like, you know, examples that way you guys don't know, like it's not only Honduras where we're focusing um, just because, you know, that connection that we have, but it's like everywhere. I'm a hundred percent that we can, if we can have it like an example for each country, we, we, we were able to, but another thing that, you know, in Honduras querían hacer, but in El Salvador, it was like a major, like people were fighting for this when I'm trying fighting for it, the privatization of water. So after they yeah. the water, they want to privatize it, like, like, no, don't yeah. like, you know, in, in, it's so many little things, you know, that, that is mining and like hydroelectrics, dams. Uh, what is the other thing? Like there's, uh, you know, it's que hasta me duele la cabeza, no lo pensarlo. Like mm-hmm. it's so much. And one of the thing I right now that me, me recuerdas when you said like, oh, you know, like the people that are there close to the communities, they're not getting rich. Like they're asked, oh yeah, es que van a traer trabajo. Like what kind of job are you going to bring if they're not going to have water to, to like, to put their crops, like, you get me? And, like, second of all, like, in Honduras, we know that the power, for, the power people right there is five families, like, five families. Yep. Five Cinco. families. Single families. Single. You know, like, really, like, they get all the money and everything, and they control Honduras. That's it. Yeah. You know, and everything. last time I was listening to um, El Señor Presidente de Honduras, Right, we try to, you know, um, you know. Um, I'm I'm trying to be respectful here, but I I, I cannot even do it with serious face. <laughs> uh, he said that he um that he's going. I I don't I cannot quote him because like I'm I I listening to him like I got so mad, I got so mad. Right. But he was saying about like that we should be more aware of the climate crisis and everything. And, you know, talking about their countries and stuff like that. And I'm like, do you. okay? so you're going to be talking right now about climate change, but you were the one like your government were behind the killing of so many, so many environmental justice activism. And, you know, in Honduras is one of the hardest countries to be an activist. Yeah. How he had that audacity yep. to say that made me so mad because Garifuna's defender have been killed, Berta had been killed, and many others that I can put you the list right here. And he had the audacity to say that. Yeah. Like I, I he's not responsible. <laughs> you know, like I like that's why I said like you know like you know exactly. Aunque you know like I. I try to be as respectful. Like I can't be respectful with someone who doesn't deserve it. He doesn't. Like I'm. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry, but I can't even say it with a serious face. Yeah. No. He. He is. He is the worst. Um, mm-hmm. He. I, yeah. And like another thing with like with with this is that like there's this illusion that. We live in a democratic country, but it's not really a democratic country when mm-hmm. the current sitting president gets to rob an election. Oh, um, uh-huh. and then you know, 
yeah <laughs> harass and be violent with people who oppose him so mm-hmm. um yeah i think our, our our current president in honduras is is really just another example of how mm-hmm. uh rich people and and when i say rich people i mean like absurdly rich people like one percent mm-hmm. rich people right mm-hmm. um gets to you know hoard all the wealth control all the resources um and then gaslight us into thinking that um the the problems are our problems because we can't get out of poverty or because we Mm -hmm. just can't find enough food and it's like no the problems we are facing are because people like you are making policy choices Mm -hmm. and decisions that impact us Mm -hmm. um so yeah i i find that very frustrating and like another thing like before i forget just because like i i saw this this news this has nothing to do with what we're talking about right now um Mm -hmm. in relation to our president but um you mentioned um water scarcity and i saw this article the other day that is super super depressing uh, <laughs> that said that water is now being um mm-hmm. is is a commodity that's being traded on wall mm-hmm. street um mm-hmm. because there's a uh, there's a fear for scarcity so we are not not only at the point of like trying to privatize water like you said but we're now at the point we've gone further than that and are now trading water as if it were a commodity rather than a life-sustaining resource that yep. every single person on mm-hmm. this planet needs to survive. Exactly. Um, and having, which is so frustrating because we're going to, and if this isn't something that gets stopped, we're going to see billionaires and rich people making more money off of water scarcity, making mm-hmm. money off of some parts of the world not having access to water because it was taken from us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um and trying to trade it back. So yeah, it's, 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 it's really yeah. frustrating to, to see that. So, you know, my, my, my mom used to tell me that, you know, like, oh, va a haber un tiempo donde el agua va a ser, va a valer más que el dinero. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's really it. such a, and That's even it. though, like, you know, there's these companies who like, you know, you know, this, um, well, actually, this is something that I became introduced here in the United States, by the way. Um, and I'm sure, like, listeners, if you probably, that was normal, but for me, but agua en botella, that was never a thing in Honduras, you know what I mean? Like, allá se filtra el agua, and all the agua que cae de la, de la lluvia se filtra, and that's it. But for me to, one, one time my mom told me, porque, like, you know, I, we're just like, oh, you know, we don't want to have be having so many plastic around the house and things like that. So uh, we were like, okay, let, let's just, you know, get uno de esos filtros y lo llenamos a cada rato, right? Just to be more conscious of what we were doing, right? And and this is going to relate to what I would like, I, some question that I want to um, ask you, Adriana. Um, but... My mom told me, ¿sabes qué, Alejandra? Yo he tenido la, uh, he llegado a la conclusión que la compañía de agua no te vende agua, te vende la botella, because the water exists. Así es. You know, so they do Así es. the thing, you know, they do all this, like, the price was like a dollar something here in the United States for a bottle, 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 bottle water, whatever, um, Right, but they didn't. They didn't create water. They created the botella, the botella that later is gonna be in the the floor, you know. But water, we're paying for that. Where it should be accessible for everyone. And this is just a little minor example. And one of the questions that I wanted to ask you before we go to the 
the racial injustice uh, part is that we see this anuncios y cosas en social media how like reusable straws portable mm -hmm. water bottle uh, usamos uh, como se llama bolsa reusable and be more cautious about the planet but we know like we cannot fix it like we yeah. ain't the responsible ones you know what I mean yeah. like I, I yeah. a mi me gusta tomar mi agua con pajilla and I have my reusable ones and every time I drink it like you know what I, that plastic is less than 0.1% of the actual problem yeah. like why here like i said like at the beginning they made it a law here in the in the in california that someone cannot offer you a straw like i'm sorry for the word but like that, that ain't the problem okay yeah. that ain't yeah, the problem. So, so what is this idea of helping that environment i mean i know at that and we'll hope you know for to become more aware of it but you know that ain't going to help not even one percent not even if everybody does it you know that ain't not a problem of reusable straws bags and all the things that will stop maybe like the oceans to not be as polluted with like plastic and no mucha basura en la calle and things like that but you know that in the problem so why is this community and this sense of trying to help the environment, just focusing on that without realizing the actual problem, which is big corporation and like fracking yeah. and all that. Yeah, great question. And the reason is because of these big corporations and and and, and these big companies who are making a profit. So mm -hmm. um, as an example, um, the fossil fuel industry, these big companies, Exxon, Shell, et cetera, et cetera, they knew about the climate crisis 30 years ago. They had data, they had science, they had all the evidence they needed. They knew what the impacts would be. They knew everything that would happen. They knew we would be in the situation we're in right now. And they continued anyway. And honestly, that's a crime against humanity. But mm. um, I'll leave that there. But what they did with that knowledge is they spent, I don't, I don't, know, I don't know the exact number, but they spent a lot of money, millions of dollars lobbying to keep the fossil fuel industry the way it is, to maintain the status quo, and to switch up. Okay, so for example, um, you know the the um, there's this measurement that you can take of like what your um, what your carbon footprint is. Yeah, um, mm -hmm. that's something that was created by the fossil fuel industry to blame individuals um, because they're not recycling, because they're not eating enough um, uh -huh. vegetables, because they're not like driving an electric vehicle or whatever. Um, wow. Yeah. They literally created, created that, like that concept in order to move responsibility away from them who are the true cause of the climate crisis. And these big corporations who are mining, who are destroying the environment, who are, you know, exhausting our resources, draining our water, they're moving, they're shifting that responsibility and gaslighting us into thinking it's our fault. And it's mm. not. And these, these, this, this idea, and I don't want to shame anyone who like recycles or like uses or uses a reusable straw. Like, that's not the point. Like, that's not the point. Like, you know, like if you want to go vegan for the environment, if you like, if you want to get your electric car, whatever, like do that. You know, if you are able to do these things, go ahead. Like, I'm not, I really like don't want to shame people for that. But if you're doing that and thinking that you've done enough, that's the problem. Exactly. That is the problem. Because mm -hmm. then, because, so this, because this is so frustrating because these, these, this false industry is not, they're not stupid. They know what they're mm -hmm. doing. They know mm -hmm. what they're doing. They created these metrics to make people think that this is our fault and that this is our problem. But when people recycle and when people do all these things and they're doing all these environmentally conscious things, which is great, but then 
global global like you know temperatures are still rising we still get hit by two hurricanes we still have droughts we still have forest fires and people are like so what the fuck so what does that mean <laughs> you know mm-hmm. and i think at this point people are starting to realize this because we've been recycling for 30 years and it hasn't changed anything so exactly. i think people are starting to realize now that like okay the problem isn't individuals the problem mm-hmm. is these large corporations the problem is the billionaires it's the ruling class it's the one percent who are making so much money off of off of this crisis mm-hmm. um, and people are suffering because of it so and again i'm not i'm just going to reemphasize not trying to shame people for making individual choices that's not the point but if you if that is all you're doing and you're like getting a little checklist for yourself and you're just like okay cool i've done my part you have not mm-hmm. <laughs> not yet you need yeah. to be more conscious of how we are engaging with a system that is set up to do exactly what it's doing. Mm-hmm. It's not an accident. It's not like, oh, this is so unfortunate. It's intentional. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's, yeah. I, I, and yeah, I could yell as well, but I'm not going <laughs> to. <laughs> no, well said, like, everything, because it, I know, see, but they go, well said, everything, like what you said, it was like, I feel like people need to hear. You know, because I, I get frustrated for that. You know, people a veces me dicen, ay, Dios mío, comer, que dejaste de comer carne no te va a hacer, you know, no va a salvar el planeta. I know it's not going to do that. I know it's going to do that. Like, like you said, you know, it's not shaming nobody. You know, like I personally stopped eating. No, it's not completely stopped eating me. I decided to eat less meat for the environment. That was my decision. But I know that I'm not going to, like, you know, it's your, like, no como carne. That doesn't mean that, like, Va a parar el, el, you know, like the climate crisis and like, oh, bravo. Like, I know that I ain't that, you know, but the, this type of, ¿cómo es que se llama? Society makes you think that. And now knowing that it comes from them, oh my God, like it makes me more mad because I have, I had had like classes where like they make you take that test and you're the like, ooh, damn, like, pobrecito, se corta. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's my like carbon footprint. Like, damn, like I feel ashamed of myself. And knowing that it's from them, like, it, it's like, I feel like the person who's responsible is being acting like the victim when the victims are actually us. It's actually our mother earth or planet, you know? And this would, you know, lead me to my other question. What I, there's something that I told you that I never kind of like related, never clicked until like, like this past, you know, probably two years or something, how racial justice is connected to environmental justice, you know, like how this in Central America is one of the main effects, you know, like we know that is the 1%, like you said, like in under five families and you like, it's just like a handful of people who are benefiting from this. However, most of that, like, you know, even though if, if people come here and tell me like, not, not everything's connected to race, like it, Yes, it let is. Me, I'm like, <laughs> let me tell you this. I'm like, yes, let me is. tell you this. It is, you know? So tell me how, like, you know, for someone who might not understand, like, you know, or someone that might not be aware, what, how is racial injustice connected to environmental injustice? Yeah, also great question. Um, And yeah, so I'm just going to, like, just really quickly touch on this idea that, um, because I've had people say that to me as well, where they're just like, but that has nothing to do with race. And I'm just like, <laughs> like like I don't know how to explain to you that the entire world that we live in operates under the construct mm-hmm. of racism. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't you wouldn't okay. 
okay, how do I don't even know where to begin because there's just so so much to say on this. But basically, the only mm, okay, I'll start with this. So essentially, when it comes to environmental justice and climate justice and racial justice, one way of how they're connected is you have something called sacrifice zones, like quote unquote sacrifice zones. Mm-hmm. Um, and this means, for example, when you have a, um, uh, what do you call it? Um, okay, say for example, let's take a, the, the, uh, the Dakota Access Pipeline expansion, the expansion mm-hmm. pipeline. Um, the original route under which the pipeline was supposed to go under or go through was in white neighborhoods. Um, mm-hmm. And then that got changed to indigenous communities, right? And mm-hmm. the concept of sacrifice zones applies to this because those communities are able to be sacrificed, quote unquote, for the benefit of the, the, the profit off of that extractive project. And they're able to get, quote unquote, sacrificed because of racism. And you see this all over. So you see, for example, with um, I'll, I'll give an example in, in, in Canada, more specific um, in, in Nova Scotia. Um, there was a huge toxic waste dump of just trash of all kinds, super toxic, super poisonous, destroyed the waterways, destroyed the land. And that toxic waste was dumped in black and indigenous communities. And you see that all over the world. You see, for example, um, trash and waste and toxic pollutants from global North countries who are being sent to global South countries into our land. Yes. Mm-hmm. so that we can keep their literal trash like that is like that's an example of a sacrifice zone where the communities and the people and the land and the resources are able to be sacrificed because they are deemed less valuable and less worthy and the only reason they are deemed less valuable and less worthy is because of racism because these people aren't deemed to have the same value quote unquote as people in the global north um, so that's, and even in the global North, you can see projects of, of, of you can see examples of sacrifice zones and mm-hmm. that's one example or, or one kind of concept that you can, um, kind of start to understand how this, this happens. And the same thing happens with mining companies. For example, these mining companies from Canada, they like go to Central America, they go to Honduras, they go to these indigenous and black communities in Honduras and they extract and they pollute and they damage. And the damage is often like, I don't say irreparable, but it takes years to recover from damage like that. And then all the wealth gets extracted. And then mm-hmm. the region that was impacted gets abandoned, right? Like once they mm-hmm. got what they want, once they got the money, once they got the resources, boom, they're out, right? They're out. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one way that uh, that it's connected is when you see these extractive projects or these um, pollutants or whatever, they, the, the, the parts of the world that they go to are the parts of the world that aren't deemed as worthy. And it's really fucked up to say it, right? It's, it, and, and that's the part that I want people to understand is that it should not be this way. It is, but it should not be this way. And it's not mm-hmm. normal to have this. And it, this, these ideas are based off of the concept that some people are worth more than others, which is based yes. on racism. So yep. that like, Whenever someone says like climate change has nothing to do with racism, I'm just like, listen, of course, hurricanes are not racist. Like, okay, I have when I, I've been doing a lot on Hurricane Eta and Hurricane Iota. Um, and literally, I, I made a post um, like three weeks ago that was like climate justice is racial justice. And I had mm-hmm. someone DM me and they were just like, why are you so stupid in saying that hurricanes are racist? And I was like, dude, like, I'm not saying hurricanes are racist. Did you read my post? <laughs> Did you actually yeah. read what I said? Um 
And when, when we're thinking about the, not just, not just like, for example, the extractive projects, which are causing the climate change mm-hmm. crisis, but when you're thinking about the impacts of climate change as well, who is getting impacted again? Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. even, even when we're talking about forest fires in BC, for example, mm-hmm. the people who are mostly impacted by this are indigenous communities in, in the North, the ones mm-hmm. who are living um, closer to the forest. They're the ones who are impacted by the forest fires. Or, yep. or even in like Vancouver, for example, it's a lot of the people who are currently homeless. And who are folks who are currently homeless? Mostly Black, Indigenous, and people of color. Like, there's, I just, oh. Yeah. <laughs> Climate justice yeah. is racial justice. Like, there is, there, like, they are so profoundly connected. You cannot have one without the other. Mm-hmm. You can't have one without the other. Yep. Nope. And, you know, I totally understand you. And um, I act that way, you know, like, like I said, I wasn't aware of this connection until I found out. I'm like, well, that makes sense, right? And like, um, when people now tell me, oh no, you know, like I to race, I'm like, dude, like, let me put you some perspective right here. And it's very like minimal, just like that. Um, as I told you, I live in Los Angeles, but I live in El Puerto de Los Angeles, which is like Wilmington area. And I cannot go, I don't know how many radius miles around without probably having country with I don't know how many refineries. I have talked with my, you know, sometimes I play around with my brother or something like that. And then we're like, oh, cuando tenga unos 80 años. And he always tells me, Alejandra, you know, we're not going to live more than 50 because mm-hmm. we live around the refineries. The life expectancy mm-hmm. right here, we, we know we're going to have something, uh, right? Yeah. Uh, in our lungs or anything. You got up, like, Right, right here, Palos Verdes, not even like Beverly Hills, Palos Verdes, nothing, girl, nothing, not even one, one refinery. You go right here, like on in the in the otro lado, nothing. You go to Beverly Hills, nothing. Where do we get it? Right here in the puerto, and do, like people are gonna think, oh, pues es porque es el puerto. No, it's because Wilmington is mainly, you know, like it's mainly like comunidad de inmigrantes. That's it. Yep. And we yep. have. Like, I went to, you know, in high school, I had this, I was under this academy, which was like the uh, Global Environmental Science Academy, right? And we had all this, like, uh, es que se llama? And refineries come and give us, like, workshop of, like, oh, what are we doing? What are we helping? And this and that. But then I always realized, I'm like, okay, you come here, you know, like, to this community when you know your refinery isn't, you like... You are the problem, bro. It's like... It's you like are the miles. problem. <laughs> exactly. It's like miles, you know, like, a veces me dice, like, you know, there's this part, and if you lo- if you live close to Wilmington, you, people know where I'm talking about. If you're driving through PCH and you go to, uh, what's it called, to Long Beach, you're gonna cross one hu- huge section all full of refineries and it literally looks like a city i'm not kidding when i came to visit first here i thought it was a city i was like oh se ven bonitos esos it's like you know like esos edificios because you know no más ves las luces arriba and then then you start seeing like this flame that is on like all night long and you know it's after you know you become more aware and you're like well this is not normal porque es tan tan normal tener you know like me having so many refineries around my house like I, yeah. I have a the minimum. I will say minimum of five, and they're different names, in one yeah. community, one yeah. community. 
And that's literally just environmental racism. Like, that's what it is. Like, they put those refineries there for a reason. Like, you're mm-hmm. not going to see these refineries and these, envi- these like, you know, extractive and pollutant things mm-hmm. in rich neighborhoods. You're not going to see no. that. You're not going to see these in white neighborhoods. You're going to mm-hmm. see them in Black, Indigenous, and communities of color. Like, mm-hmm. that's where they go because, unfortunately, we live in a world who, that is founded and created on mm-hmm. racism. Mm-hmm. So therefore, like, it, it's it's just, it's so obvious. And like, once you see it, you can't unsee it. And that makes you just want to like scream all the time. Yeah. Like, it's, it, it, and I think like people who, who deny that race and income and gender are a factor in these issues are mm-hmm. either so ignorant that they just like, maybe just genuinely don't know, or they are willingly willingly a part of the problem yep so yeah i'll yeah and and and, and that's something that you see all over the world too right like it's not just it's not just in 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 california it's not just in honduras it's all over the world you can see these examples all over the world pick a country you'll find one yep yep and you know when you were talking about trash um i was trying to look at it like i could i cannot find the article i don't know if you probably became aware of this uh or maybe it was just something in facebook that i found and i read it probably it's not even true right but i because of the you know the history of my country i am i i'm honestly assuming that is true um it was a uh article i don't know where i can not find it but if i find it i'll link it down below and if it's not true i'll I'll link it well I'll link it down below too. Uh, but they said that Honduras was accepting, I don't know how many piles, of like, what's it called? Toneladas de trash. Do, do you know something about that? Yeah, no, I, I don't know about that case specifically. Okay. But that's also, that comes to no surprise. And like, I think like, what's also interesting is that you're starting to see countries turn away the trash. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I think it was a Southeast Asian country um, that that did this. I want to say it was the Philippines, but I might be completely wrong, where they were accepting trash from the U.S. and Canada, and then they were just like, actually, nah, I'm not going to do this. And mm-hmm. they started returning it. <laughs> and I'm yeah. just like, yes, go. <laughs> yeah. like, good for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know specifically about like Honduras, but that absolutely mm-hmm. does not surprise me. Yeah, that, that's why. That's why I said like you know I'll, I'll link it down below if I can find it. Um, if not, because I remember talking with my mom, and my mom was like, you know, like I said, Honduran, you know, like she was mad, mm-hmm. and she she was like, que beep. Mm-hmm. Creen que mi país es un banco de basura? Like, she was exactly. mad. Exactly. That's, that, that's why I'm saying, like, you know, like, oh, you know, it might not be true. Like, I'm I'm telling you, like, and do not quote me on this. I'm trying to find it. I'll link it down below if I find it. But I, it comes as no surprise. And as the record have come from Honduras, believe me, I'm, I'm 100%. I might be true, but I don't know. Um, but yeah, so things like that, you know, like, you know, countries huge countries can pay other countries and send their trash but like we are the ones who get you know the damage and everything and this of course comes to you know my conclude question to us you know we have known all this issues that had happened this past you know year um or this year actually so climate change you know effects are you know effects are not new you know uh, like we have talked to the Mitch and other ones that we can, you know, name. Um, 
And you know the how they're dealing with it is, I mean, the it, specific from Central America. You know, whatever they do in there, like, it's not gonna have, you know, it's not gonna have a huge effect on the actual, you know, problem. Um, but in connection to other countries, you know to other countries who had like bigger corporation who actual you know um contribute to more bigger problem and to the, you know the climate crisis however um this had led to a migration of many people and i'm just gonna you know like as an example this past two hurricanes like you said it's not normal to hit two hurricanes unless the two weeks and almost the exact point that they both enter for the exact point um it's not normal. Uh, only Honduras, like more than two million people, um, were affected. Just like that's just minimal. Like I'm just I'm not I don't have the number, but I know it was more than two million people yeah. in one small country, right? And we're talking about a country that probably the population is about around nine millions in the country, and like one and I don't know how many more outside of the country. And now we see this, and I know that in our past episode, um that we talked about uh, environmental, they said that now experts are looking at the environmental research to predict where the next uh, waves of migration are going to come. So uh, when we talk about migration, when we talk about, you know, like violence and all this, we should be talking about climate change. We should be talking about all that. So um, I don't know if you want to, you know, like extend the conversation, how this relates, how, how this affecting and why it's important to talk about migration when it comes to climate justice because I feel like as we have seen in the past you know like years um this is probably less you know of three four years that we have been you know under this administration I'm talking here in the United States you know gang wasn't a real reason to leave Central America right that wasn't accepted as for someone who was seeking asylum yeah. right but if someone said, you know, I was affected by a hurricane, if someone said, like, you know, I'm fleeing because I was affected by climate change because there's no water, some other, some people are not going to look at it like as an actual threat. But you and I know that our countries are mainly, you know, their foundation is agricultural, agriculture, right? And their crops are being, you know, um, affected. So... I don't know. I'm just going to give you the space for you to talk about migration, the connection with, you know, like um, climate crisis and, you know, how can we talk more about this and how can other people be more aware? Yeah, absolutely. And that's like a really, really important point to to bring up because so, so just just a just a quick note, when when people talk about climate change, they often talk about it in terms of mitigation and adaptation. So mitigation means um, like mitigating uh, the acceleration of climate change. So that means like reducing greenhouse gases. And then the entire uh, a different part of climate change is adaptation. So being able to adapt to the changing climate. Right. And countries mm -hmm. like Honduras, our focus needs to be on adaptation. We don't need to worry about mitigating. Like we are not the ones who are causing this. We are the ones who are experiencing it. So we need to focus on adapting our countries and our communities to be resilient to climate mm -hmm. change. And one thing about midi about adaptation that doesn't get seen as a as a form of adaptation is migration. Mm -hmm. Like people in academic and scientific communities don't view migration necessarily as a form of adapting to climate change, but it is ultimately mm -hmm. 
the last thing people want to do to adapt to climate change is migrate. You know, mm-hmm. like they're like, and, w- and when you're thinking about, for example, with with the two hurricanes right now with Etaniota, um, we are already seeing a migrant caravan. Like there's mm-hmm. already one that moved. Like 400 mm-hmm. people left San Pedro Sula to go up north because mm-hmm. they like have lost everything. And when you're looking at it with the impact of COVID as well, people mm-hmm. have lost their jobs. People do not have access to um, to like government support and government resources to get through this crisis of COVID. And mm-hmm. then we get to hurricanes. Like, what are people supposed to do? You know, mm-hmm. like they they don't really have much of an option but to migrate. And um, the thing, the connection between climate change and migration isn't that like you have a hurricane, you migrate. You know, like mm-hmm. it's not it's not just like that. It's you need to look at the connection between climate change and climate disasters linked to the current socioeconomic realities of the people who are impacting it. If mm-hmm. you are able to adapt, if you have the resources, if you have the support, if you have the technology, if you have, you know, the resiliency to be able to get through and adapt to climate change, you don't have a reason to migrate. You know, mm-hmm. like people are not risking their lives to migrate for fun. It's because mm-hmm. there's like, it's because this is the best option they have. It's mm-hmm. not because they're just like, I'm just going to go try it out and see what happens. Like, it's like they have no other way of adapting to the current circumstances they're in other than to migrate. And mm-hmm. we have been seeing people migrating because of climate change for years now. This is not new. It's Mm-mm. just something people are paying, pay, starting to pay attention to right now. But after Mitch, we saw huge amounts of people yep. migrate. We saw mm-hmm. that. That happened 20 years ago, and that was already happening. With like the with the with the caravans that like like sorry, I'm not supposed to say bad words. Um, but with the caravans that um the the current president in the US in this mm-hmm. administration um was talking about it was just like, oh, these migrant caravans are coming. No, 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 no. First of all, people have been migrating in caravans for years. Also, mm-hmm. nothing new. That's just like that's just a way of increasing racism and making it seem like Mm-hmm. There are flocks of migrants coming, but like it, that's been happening for years. So that's also not new. But even within that caravan that people were talking about, like what, two or three years ago, um, there were a lot of people like if you interviewed them and there were a lot mm-hmm. of people who were interviewing them who were just like, I'm a farmer and mm-hmm. I can't grow anymore. Yes. Like I literally I just like mm-hmm. my seeds aren't growing. I can't I can't mm-hmm. get any food. And why is that? Because there's been a drought for four years. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, yeah. like, that is a connection between the socioeconomic impacts of people living in the current situation on top of that climate change. Like, climate change will just exacerbate pre-existing inequalities. It's going to mm-hmm. make everything worse. It's going to make people who are already impoverished more poor. It's going to make mm-hmm. people who are already f- facing violence and facing issues with employment, for example, more at risk. So mm-hmm. it's not that, like, just because you have a natural disaster, boom, you're going to have migration. You have to look at it in the context mm-hmm. in which people are already living in. And yep. the last resource, the last thing people are able to do is to migrate. That is the mm-hmm. ultimate form of adaptation. If you yep. have no other choice, no other resources, and no other support, the only thing you have left to do is to migrate. That's it. Exactly. And you can see migration both within the country and outside of the country. So you'll also see a lot of examples of people migrating from from rural villages or from um, more like paisanos who are moving into cities, right? Mm -hmm. Because they also have no other way of surviving. But then Mm -hmm. you also see people moving from like one country to another. 
Um, mm-hmm. So you have both both of those examples. Um, and like I said, it's been happening for years. It's just people are starting to pay attention to it now. And the really the part that's really really messed up is that there is no protection for climate migrants. Like no. as of right now, there is no like you are not counted as a refugee because of climate migration because the un definition of a refugee does not account for climate migration it doesn't account for natural disasters and for environmental justice reasons and countries like canada countries like the us european countries for example they this is this is my hot take they aren't willing to accept the fact that there is climate induced migration because that would mean they have to accept the fact that they're the ones causing it oh my god yes <laughs> say it girl say it <laughs> oh god <laughs> yes that that's the part that's really hard because if you accept that there is a problem you have to accept responsibility and mm-hmm. they're not there yet like obviously like they're just not there they're not there at the point where they're able to like accept it because then that would mean that they would have to be held responsible and held accountable for the shit they've done mm-hmm so yep. I'll I'll leave that there. <laughs> I'm just gonna go like this. Yes, girl. Yes, yes. And uh, whoa. Yeah, I don't I don't think I can like even even comment on that because it's like yes. Oh, uh, sorry. I just like ranted there for so long. <laughs> I'm just like no. It's total girl. Like it's totally fine, and it, I totally completely agree with you. And for everyone who's listening, if you want to have like you know an extensive you know um other point of view um i'm gonna link our episode i think it's episode five if i'm not confused uh we had this uh, episode with uh, jocelyn gregorio she talked about the migration and environmental and just what you said like she was saying like how you know there's farmers who like they now they cannot compete to sell their maize you know which is you know so essential in central america because they're not only having this completely long you know dries you know years and then the united states are just importing maize cheaper so now they cannot sell maize the poquito que pueden agarrar so if you want it i'll link it down below for everyone's um yeah i'll to read that or to yeah. watch that too yeah I'll, I'll send it to you uh it was a very you know amazing that was you know like i was completely amazed with all the knowledge and of course you know your um knowledge i'm um, completely blown away by the way um <laughs> and you know um but thank you again adriana for being with us today i know we can talk for years about this yeah we honestly can i could keep ranting <laughs> you know we can keep talking believe me we can keep talking and i just want to say you know i thank you for your work and for being uh you know bringing all this information as accessible as you have said um, this type of information is not accessible for everyone. So yeah. you making those posts, you making, you know, sharing information had make, you know, not only viewers and pe- people who like, you know, share and everything, uh, more aware and wanting to learn more and wanting to continue to, you know, share the knowledge and your message to others. So I really appreciate your work and, you know, for everyone who wants to see the amazing work that Adriana is doing. Everything is going to be in the notes because I always put everything in the notes. <laughs> so thank you, Adriana, for being with us today. I really, I enjoyed it. I got mad. I almost wanted to cry. <laughs> I wanted to scream. 
but yes. I know this is important. And thank you again for being my the first episode of 2021 on the beautiful, bright new year. <laughs> yes, we thank are. you so much for giving me the space today to rant um, and to to talk about this. Um, I know that some of these topics are are really depressing um, and really sad, but I also just want to remind people that. There are people who are organizing. There are people who are working on this. Like, hope is not lost. Um, we just need to know where to focus our energy on. Um, so support your BIPOC organizers. Support the folks on the ground who are doing this work. Support the Black and Indigenous people who are who are working against these extractive projects. Um, and yeah, thank you so much, Alejandra, for letting me talk about this today. I'm super excited. Don't forget to check our website at centralamericanvoices.com where you can subscribe to our mailing list. Also follow us on Instagram at Centime Voices Podcast and on Twitter at Centime Voices Pod. You can also like and follow our Facebook page where you can join the Central American Voices Facebook group. If you'd like to support this podcast and my work, you can donate through our website or become a patron. I really appreciate it. Also, don't forget to come back for our next episode.